friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to the spoiler section, Scooby Secrets of Becoming Buffy. Today we're talking about surprise and innocence, which I think this is the first time that we've combined two episodes in a spoiler section. Am I right? Is this the first time we've done this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's not a whole lot of like little moments that I feel like we have to talk about, but it's mostly just about like big overarching themes and things that kind of pop up later on in the show um, that I'm just really excited to talk about. But the first thing that I have been like chomping at the bit to say in the regular section of the episode is that Surprise is the only episode in the entirety of Buffy where Drusilla is the big bad. She literally never comes back as the big bad again. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I have a lot to say <laughs> just about that just because like I do kind of feel like they did Drusilla a disservice. Disservice. <laughs> disservice. Um, just simply because Drusilla is such an interesting character. Mm -hmm, I really, yeah. love her. I think she's so complex, so fascinating. Every time she's on the screen, I am like captivated by her and just like amazed by especially the actress's portrayal of her. Mm -hmm. So impressive. But I will say... After season two, even during season two, they really hyped her up a lot and didn't give her that kind of like big finish that I feel like she deserved, even on Angel. They did a little bit more on Angel. They did do more on Angel, but even still, like I really feel like Drusilla deserved either a really big moment where they like killed her or like a reason why she just never came back like or a big enough reason that made sense why she would be scared away like she would just pop back up like her ending on buffy was in season what season five mm -hmm, crush and it, don't get me wrong it's a funny episode and it's funny to see drusilla just very much like i don't care but i really feel like she deserved a big finale or a big finish because she really was built up to have something along those lines isn't she the big bad in crush though no not really because spike's the one that kind of kidnaps everybody and gosh I mean, she don't even get me started i love the episode but i'm like <laughs> are you just gonna like offer or like say you're gonna torture buffy if she doesn't like say that she loves you that's hot that's a joke it's not hot <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no like she is played up to be the big villain of that episode and it's kind of like she comes back and tempts spike to kind of go back to the dark side and stuff mm -hmm. and then he ends up tying her up just to show buffy hey look i tied up my old girlfriend so i want to prove to you that i really love you I but love anyway that episode. we funny. will get there when we get there because there's a lot to say i do want to say that it's interesting because you have the Fab Four, as they're called, or the – I don't remember what the other title is. But you have Drusilla, Darla, Angel, and Spike. And of the four of them, Drusilla is the only one that doesn't get a soul back in either Buffy or Angel. Mm -hmm. 
which is really interesting. And I had a conversation with someone actually on Instagram because she was like, yeah, Drusilla is my favorite character. And I was like, Drusilla is phenomenal. But I I like – so I know the initial plan was to have Drusilla stick around all the way through season two. And there was eventually supposed to be like her and Angelus were supposed to become an item. And, you know, James Marster's spike was supposed to be killed by Angelus mm-hmm. after like, what, four or five episodes. I think it was and five. Yeah, something like that. And so um, Juliette Lindo has said that she was told pretty much her arc all the way through season two. James Marsters wasn't because he they thought he was going to die. Then when, you know, James Marsters just did a phenomenal job with Spike and became really popular and they kept him on, I think it reduced Drusilla's role somewhat. Mm. Um, Which sucks because, like, I love both their characters and I really love the presence of Spike on Buffy. I think that he is just a completely important element to the show. But it does suck that Drusilla had to suffer for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I have mixed feelings because I think Drusilla is just phenomenal. Anytime she pops up on screen, I get so excited. When she popped up on Angel to change mm-hmm. to change yeah. Darla back, I audibly gasped mm-hmm. because yeah. I just that did not see it coming. That was one of the big things in, this, in the show where I was like, <gasps> or when they're gallivanting around town, I'm like, Ugh, so good. yes. I'm like, kill that yeah. that uh that worker. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, the retail worker. Yeah. So I have mixed feelings because I think Drusilla is a phenomenal character. And I also think that she okay, so this I definitely think should have happened. She should have been on Angel more. And I yes. argue yes. I argue, I mean, I think Darla's arc was great. Darla less Drusilla more. I yes, that's that, unpopular, yes. but yes. Okay, because well, I mean <laughs> Sarah and Tammy know I really, really struggle with Darla. <laughs> um, you just can't remember her name, you weirdo. Or who she is. <laughs> I, I swear my life, you guys, I'm not making this up. For the first, like, I think I think it was all the way through season two. Like, actually, probably halfway through. It was until time, she was pregnant. You were like, who yeah, is this girl? Every time Darla popped on, on her screen, like, Sarah and Tabby would react. They'd be like, oh, Darla, oh my gosh. And I was like, who, who is this? Like, I You're don't like, she kept Kate? mistaking her and Kate, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was Kate, and then I you're like Buffy. Like, What's Buffy doing I here? <laughs> I don't know why. I just, for the life of me, I think Darla just has the most like common Joe face I've ever seen in my life. And I'm, I think like, she's that beautiful. Really, that's well, no, she's beautiful. I'm not trying to bash her. I'm just saying, like, when I see her, I'm just very much like I just forgot that she was such an important element in like Buffy because I just didn't remember. Like, I just kind of was like. It's like I don't know why Darla was just so forgetful on on Buffy. She wasn't so forgetful. She, you were, but she was forgettable to you. Yeah, I liked some of the things they did with Darla, um, but she just kind of felt a little overused on Angel, in my opinion. Like I felt like there was just like by the time her arc was coming to an end, it wasn't like a wow, this was like a beautiful story. It was more of like. Oh, finally, like Darla isn't going to be on my screen anymore. Well, I think that's because you binged a lot of it. But if you look back in hindsight, she was not in there for very long. She's she's in it for a while. The thing is, is that I think Darla's arc is very well done. I agree. The thing is, the thing is, is I think that they potentially I'm not saying that Drusilla should have gotten pregnant, but I think that Drusilla should have been more prominent than Darla because I, I personally think that Drusilla had more was humanity. More of she was more of an impact to Angel yep. and it would have been more mm. interesting yep. to watch her 
be more of a constant reminder to Angel of what he was as Angelus. It yep. was kind of a weird thing that they just didn't really bring up Drusilla very much when she was such a big part of Angel's uh When a show pain. that's about Angel, yeah. Yeah, in season two. The thing is, too, is that when you think about it in Buffy, because Angel does come after Buffy, they barely, they don't mention Darla, like, after she dies. Like, she is... I don't think she's ever mentioned. She She's shown in a few flashbacks. Right, right. I meant like, you know, in the like present, Angel is never like, uh, oh, I, re- I regret what I did to Darla or I, re- I regret the fact that, you know, what me and Darla did to other people. It's always in terms of like other people and stuff or himself. Whereas with Drusilla, even though she doesn't die, like how he mistreats Drusilla he brings up a lot. Like, he mm. mentions it a lot when Drusilla is in the episode or not. You hear him talk about it on Angel and on Buffy. Like, he talks about how that's the worst thing he's ever done was what he did to Drew. And so I do agree with Sarah that it would have been such an impactful thing if he did, if Drusilla was the one taunting him, baiting him, all this stuff. Because, and it also would be kind of ironic because. You know, Angel was the one who turned Drew, who made her crazy and a vampire. And so Drusilla, the vampire, now trying to bait Angel into going into the dark side would have been such a cool concept. I agree. And I think maybe one of the reasons why they had Darla be the person is because they were an item for like 100 years or so. And I think it's special because he was able to separate his past with her and just helping her as like a human and someone who was like carrying their child. And like, I think they had some really sweet kind of like kind of mirroring his, um, his relationship with faith a little bit. I think it was very special, but I feel like they could have done the same thing with Drew. And I feel like it could have been a little bit deeper, kind of like what Leah's saying, because it'd be like a whole full circle because he made her crazy and he was able to bring her out of it again, coming out of it, like kind of getting her soul back and everything. Yeah, I have mixed emotions about it. I think it would have been really interesting. But then I'm also like, if Drusilla was on screen more, would we come to be like, would we feel like she was overused? You know, maybe the fact that she was on just enough to make us want more was a very smart idea. And it's why we all love the character so much, you know? Um, And I also think that Drusilla kind of being the only one that never gets a soul back is something that will always hang over Angel's head. So it's another like, reason for him to or try to make amends you know so i don't know it's just interesting and it's interesting to see drusilla really in this cool role and surprise and then she just kind of takes a step back from that leadership role because angelus literally comes in the next the next episode so it would have been really interesting to see drusilla play a little bit more of a big bad because i think she's frankly very terrifying and i mean hey like she gets more done in our one episode as a big bad than spike Ever did. Seriously. And not to mention, like, she gets more done than the master did as well. Like, she had yeah. one one episode and she was doing more damage than the two big bats we've seen yeah, so far. Yeah, she got, like, she got the judge, a villain yep. that could not be killed by weapons. Yep. And she captured not just Angel, but Angel and Buffy. Like, yeah, like <laughs> girl she, got it done. Like, maybe we shouldn't have had her as a full season. <laughs> she would have ended up killing Buffy and everyone. She would have succeeded. 
and she ends up killing Kendra. Like, Drisella yeah. is not She's a force most, to be reckoned with. Probably one of the most effective, like, big bads we have ever seen. Yeah. I wonder how different the season would be if Spike was the one who was crazy or just, like, mentally not able to keep up and Drusilla was the one who was, like, running everything. I feel like there, there would have been massacres. There would have been way <laughs> worse things. All I have is Beyonce, who runs the world in my head. For real. <laughs> Drew, who runs the world? Drew. Um, okay, so moving on. This is something that I feel really stupid for not having figured out or even, like, made a connection. But in the dream sequence – when Angel is being staked by Drusilla and is reaching out to Buffy, it mirrors how he reaches out to Buffy in Becoming Part 2. And I don't know why yeah, I didn't see that. I, I noted that, that it's like a very clear foreshadowing to his death. Also, he's wearing the ring, too, when he does that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's saying Buffy in mm-hmm. just the same way. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you guys know that he whispers something as he turns to Ash? I was When I was watching it the other day after we'd recorded, I was like, dang it. He's saying something, isn't he? He's literally whispering my soul. Isn't that crazy? Oh, wow. Oh, what? Yeah. I know. I was like, dang it. He's saying something, isn't he? And I forgot to put it on the podcast. All right. Spoiler it is. All the people <laughs> that like, go back, they're like, man, we get your whole note on us. I know. <laughs> we keep feeding the spoiler section people. And then the spoiler fee people are just like, ah, forget I know. it. People, people don't even know what they're missing out on. For real. Um, okay. So this begins the tradition of Buffy's birthdays going awry. You have Helpless oh, worst in season ever. three. Yep. Then you have a new man in season four when Giles gets turned into the oh, I forget what what kind of it's like the the slime Moloch. Isn't it's not Moloch? Yeah, yeah. It's same literally the exact same. Yeah. Yep. It gets turned into. They Moloch thought no one was gonna notice, but I did. They're like, I wrote about Eugene had such a low score. No one will know for real. <laughs> um, and then in Blood Ties, and then Older and Far Away, there's just always something that happens in. What each happens of- in Blood Ties and Older and Far Away? Older and Far Away is the I one. I don't we're know gone. the titles like you guys do. You're fine. Older and or Blood you don't Ties is when. Yeah, I don't have the whole thing memorized like the <laughs> dictionary. <laughs> you guys will be like, yeah, that one episode, like Rabbit's Foot, where like you know, this happens, and, I, and I'm like, yeah, and you're like, yeah, but that that really sounds like that uh, that another episode where it's like Willow's Tree and like you know, in, you know Willow's Tree home, and the 45 minute second part where uh like oz sneezes and like the tree kind of brushes in the wind do you remember that i'm like ah no i don't i don't remember that well sorry. i i have like seasons one through like four pretty much down it's like seasons five through six seven where i'm like uh i don't know See, i don't i don't remember titles of anything ever like my most favorite shows you could tell me like the title of an episode and i'd probably be like yeah sure that's not i good. don't like, either but I buffy's don't really remember Buffy's titles mean something and they like tie into the episode. That's why I memorize them so I can know what happens in the episode. Well, I mean, a lot of shows do that. So it's not like, I mean, like once upon a time, their titles are like directly correlated to what the episode's going to be about. But I don't memorize the titles because I'm like, I'll just watch the episode and figure it out. Well, I mean, I've seen the first three seasons so many times. I could probably tell you every single episode in seasons one through three. Like I the mean, name obviously, of them. I remember some of them like Prophecy Girl or Becoming or like, you know, Fool for Love, like the ones that were like School Hard, like the ones that really stick in my mind. <laughs> he goes on just to name all of them. Yeah. Oh, maybe I do. <laughs> I remember all the ones only with like Spike or Angel in them. I'm like, uh, and then this one and this She's one. like Angel in season one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> school no, Hard. 
And so I remember some of those, like the those ones were, were referred back to, unfortunately, teacher's pet, like, you know, things like that. <laughs> but as far as like naming random ones off the top of my head, I, I cannot the way you guys do. All that being said, I don't know which ones you're referring to. Okay. So Helpless is the one where she turns I remember, 18. I remember Helpless. Crucimentum, I think is what it's called. And then uh, A New Man is the one where Giles turns into mm-hmm. Moloch. <laughs> I remember that one. Um, Blood Ties is the one that Dawn finds out that she's the key and she tries to cut herself in blood and Buffy oh, tells her, yeah, right. you're a part of me. And then um, Older and Far Away is the one where they all get locked inside of the house because Dawn has been a klepto. And she calls on um, – what's her name? The Vengeance Demon, oh, Anyaka's yeah, friend. That's right. can never remember her name. My gosh. Hal Frick. Yes. She calls Hal Frick. Hal yep. It's that, that that's the episode, Leah, where uh, Tara confronts uh, or makes – Comments to Spike. Spike. <laughs> no, no, he's like, he's like, I have a muscle happened. cramp in your pants. Here's, here's the thing: when you guys like start to describe the episode, that's when I remember. It's just that the sheer title, I don't remember. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I have this weird thing: if like there's ever a Buffy episode that I'm not sure about, and I'm like, ooh, I don't know what happens in that one. I just look it up immediately, so I'll know. And eventually, I've just learned them all. I've also watched the show way too many times. So anyway, moving on. Yeah, so this begins the tradition of Buffy's birthdays going awry. And also, I wanted to say, this is kind of jumping ahead to or innocence, but it also begins the tradition of Buffy waking up after having sex and the guy is not there or something. Darn you, Sarah. Uh, I was going to put that down. Sorry. This sorry. <laughs> makes me so annoyed. This, the fact that this one, it, it happens once and it's a little like, little. Maybe maybe a hint of sexism in there, but I can excuse it one time for the, the for the sake of a storyline and for the sake of a theme. Sure, I'll give you that, Jocelyn. However, creating a literal pattern where all the times Buffy has sex—not all of them, but like for for a the while, exception of Riley. Yeah, for a while, like when she has sex, she inevitably gets "quote unquote" punished. Is such a sexist underlying theme that I'm so frustrated at because it's like Buffy claims it. I mean, it is a feminist show, but it is such a misogynistic thing to have like a feminist show and slut shame her, <laughs> like slut shame the main feminist and punish her for having sex. Like it's just so. Uh, it's like I so- just don't like it. So, okay. So I want to get into all that in a second. We'll get into there once we get to the innocence section. Um, But I will say, I think the reason why they do that. So there's Angel in this, and then you obviously know what happens there. Then the next time is Parker, who's just a complete douche. And then you have um, Riley. And Riley is the only one where she wakes up and Mm -hmm. he's right there. Even in I Will Remember You, when Buffy and Angel fall asleep together, Angel gets up to go fight the Mm -hmm. whatever it's called demon or whatever and Buffy wakes up and he's not there Mm -hmm. and I think they do it intentionally whether it's sexist or not I think they're doing it to show that Riley was supposed to be her normal relationship Mm -hmm. it was the one chance she had to have someone that was fully human that was good and decent and all this stuff not not gonna touch Riley with 10 foot pole quite yet 
But <laughs> I know Leah's over there like ready to talk about it. We'll get there when we get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely get there. Don't worry. But I think it was to show, hey, she actually can wake up next to a boyfriend. Like it was a, it was a, just another layer of showing this is a normal relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they definitely layered. do point that out in the episode. Like I remember her kind of being like, like waking up and checking to see if he was there. And he wasn't, but it's because he just went to go get them breakfast and he literally just comes right back, you know? So the thing is, is that, you know, I don't think they were doing it in that instance. We'll talk about the whole pun- sex and punishment thing in another, it sounds silly, like BDSM, but we'll talk about it in a second. But um, I don't think that was their intention. I think they were trying to show that her relationship with Angel was never going to be normal. You know what I mean? And Parker is a whole other thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I can excuse it with Angel just because I do have good reason. But then it's, it's a like metaphor in that case. Making, making it a pattern with Riley, not Riley, my bad, Parker, is when it started to piss me off because it was like, like, I know you're trying to excuse it as, you know, these bad guys, like it's bad guys, blah, blah, blah. But it's also like inevitably you're just punishing your protagonist. Well, and, and then the degrading relationship with her and Spike as well, where like she's using it as self-harm and it's like hurting her. So it's just poor Buffy. She does wake up next to Spike too. He's yeah. him and Riley are the only two. But I would say that I feel like that situation is slightly different because she wasn't intentionally, I think, trying to wake up next to him. I think they just wore themselves out. And <laughs> happened. You know what I mean? I mean, they so. didn't. I don't think that they like, sl- I mean, they had sex, but I, mean, I don't think they slept together. No, they were literally under like it just was- rut. Rubble. It was literally <laughs> like they would have sex and then they actually fell asleep and then she left. It wasn't like, yeah. a, let's spend the night together, buddy. Let's cuddle. Like, yeah. And, yeah, buddy. Yeah, exactly. That was definitely buddy. not their yeah. Finger gun him. <laughs> Just like Angelus. <laughs> Love, Love you. Love <laughs> um, All right. So shifting gears, we will come back to that. I'm just trying to get through surprise before we like really get to the meat of innocence. So let's talk about the clawed off ring. And I'm probably butchering it. I should look up how to actually like pronounce that. I don't care. That. Let me look it up in Google and then see. Yeah, and Google it. Go Google, Google it, please. Google the clock. C-L-A-D-D-A-G-H. Thanks, Tabs. I know. It's, Sarah was literally spelling it for me. <laughs> uh, well, I thought it looked like you, you didn't know how to spell it. Sorry. No, my bad. I have it right here. And I was reading. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. okay. I was okay. just like, Shh. I was I'm not here. trying to be passive aggressive. <laughs> I definitely don't feel like that's right. (laughs) Leah. I can't hear. This is going on bloopers. (laughs) Did you slow it down? Clada ring. Clada ring. I think she said clada ring. Clada ring. Clada ring. Very American. It's clada ring. Clada ring. I think it's clada. (laughs) I literally just played it. But but that's the audible version. That's not how like the actual Irish people say it. Okay, fine. It's American pronunciation. I'll change it to British pronunciation. Not British. Irish. That's a ring. That's not British. (laughs) That's not British. That's the only two pronunciations I was given. I'm just choosing of the two. There's. They just said Clodagh in a British accent. They said (laughs) Clodagh. Irish uh, pronunciation. Goodness gracious. It's like Clodagh. Shh. Okay. Shh. We are looking at how to pronounce the name of this traditional Irish ring, which represents love, <laughs> and friendship. How do you go about pronouncing it? Clada. 
Plada. That's what I said. Plada. That's what I said. And y'all too. silenced me. <laughs> Don't let me in there. I said that too. Leah okay, silenced God. me. <laughs> I was just going based off of the. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was trying to listen to it. Oh my god! I'm, I'm going to use this as the teaser for when we were going to release the spoiler. People are going to think we're so mean. <laughs> listen to us argue about how to say Claude ring. We're trying to give you guys the most uh, authentic information. All right. So the Claude ring, now that we've established how to say it, it becomes a symbol of lost love for Buffy for the remainder of season two and kind of into the beginning of season three. Um, and it's I always forget that Scott Hope gives her one. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, how are girl is that? <laughs> Leah doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> See, you guys need me on the podcast because I represent the absent-minded viewer. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the, the silent minority or maybe they're the majority. They just can't remember. <laughs> yeah, for real. I represent all the fans that have memory loss. Anyway, in the episode Faith of Hope and Trick, I think, is the one that he gives her the ring. Who, who are you even talking about? Who is Scott Hope? <gasps> oh, no, Leah. <laughs> she dates him for like two episodes in season three, right when she um, doesn't know Angel comes back. Oh, and then he comes back. Yeah, I know. He's he also is. the guy that ends up being gay because in the seventh mm-hmm. season oh, yeah. when she's in uh, conversations, conversations with, with dead, dead people. people. Yeah. yeah. And Holden tells her. She turns him. He, she turned him gay. <laughs> no, he just told. You know, no, I know. That was a joke. I know she didn't oh, turn it We're like, uh. <laughs> no, she did not. Yeah. Which is, there's a reason why when he gave her the ring, he was like, friendship. Not <laughs> <love>. <laughs> no, so yeah, Scott Hope gives it to her. But I also, I love this detail. Love. Um, love, love. love. We're in a weird detail. mood tonight, man. <laughs> this is going to be the weirdest episode ever. So, okay, Angel doesn't wear the ring after he becomes Angelus. Um, well, I know actually he does for a little bit. And then you don't see him ever wear it in season three. And in a- all of Angel season one, you don't see him wear it. The next time that you see him wear it is in Angel episode uh, one of season two, Judgment, after he's learned about the Shanshu prophecy. They have a very it's like it gives him- Aww. I remember yeah. seeing He that. gives him Scott Hope. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was really terrible. Yeah, but I think that that's just really beautiful. And they, they make a real point of it in the episode to show the ring on his finger again. Yeah, and I, I think, remember even seeing it and being like, hmm, haven't yeah. seen that in a while. And I think this points to the fact that Buffy is his happily ever after. And she's the reason, like, he wants to be human for many reasons, but I think she is his driving force. And so, mm-hmm. and that's something that I know we're like jumping all over the place, but that's something that I just get really sad about when I think about like season five, because I feel like they strayed so far from that um, and that hope. And they try to bring it back in the girl in question. But by the end, like he signs away the Shanshu and all that stuff. And I don't know. Yeah. And I know that's because it just ended soon, but it yeah. just makes me sad. Hey, with the Buffy comics, I refuse to think they're canon, but I can pick and choose what I think are canon or not because I can do that. So in the <laughs> comics, it was actually confirmed that the Shanshu prophecy was not actually written off for Angel because they hadn't filed the paperwork before he killed them. So <laughs> I am going to I'm going to keep that in my brain as that canon. Is the, that's the dumbest loophole I've ever heard. <laughs> it literally just chalks up to unfiled paperwork. See, the way that I see it is that whether Angel gets his gets his humanity from the Shanshu prophecy or not. Because I think that if 
inevitably he would get it from the Shanshu prophecy, regardless of paperwork or not, because, like, if you're worthy, you're worthy. And I think that it's stupid that paperwork would be the deciding factor in that. So I think it would be like a... But also, he killed them all. But I ultimately think that if he didn't get it from the Shanshu prophecy, that he would get it from something else. Like, I really, really do. And I know a lot of times if I don't like the ending of stuff, I kind of just make up my own and then, you know, close that chapter. But I really, really do feel like following the themes and the the census of Buffy and Angel both that they end up together. Yeah. Or, like, things have been rewritten so many times. So, like, even if he, like if it's not the Shanshu prophecy, they could still create a different outcome and have him have us to be human yeah but also like if willow is such a strong witch i guarantee in years time she'd be able to make him human yeah i always thought about so that. many I loopholes like, i really willow's really uh put in the work i feel like she could uh she could do something about this yeah she's over here like let me curse you again with your soul it's like why can't you just give him his soul without the curse why do you have to curse him again well yeah, i mean she real. was she was young and her like power so i understand that but like years later come on there's no reason yeah she i'm couldn't. talking we're talking like season seven yeah. Willow, when she goes back in season four angel i'm like you mm. could have done that mm-hmm. you know but anyway anyway all right so the scene at the docks i really wanted to talk about this in the spoiler free section but could not uh, this is the first time that Buffy and Angel must choose the greater good and their callings over each other. And you see them really struggle with that. And I, it's as someone who has seen like the whole show and all of Angel and everything, I forget that this is the first time that they really have to go, oh my goodness, like normally things have aligned up. Like, you know, I, Angel and I love each other and we also fight side by side. But this time they're having to choose, like Angel has to go and take the judge's arm somewhere else so that Sunnydale and the rest of the world isn't isn't destroyed. And so they're and because of that they have to be separated. And so this is really, really hard for them. And I don't know, I it just it it leads me to the inevitable conclusion of, you know, even the Sean Shu prophecy, him signing it away, ultimately is Angel choosing the greater good and his calling over Buffy, over his own happiness yeah. and um I will and remember I mean, you and Yeah, we've seen Buffy do this countless times too, like choosing mm-hmm. to, you know, save the world over save her own happiness. Yep. And so then this kind of leads into, we've talked about it briefly in the spoiler-free section, but ultimately the question that season two has been asking and that I think we talked about is, you know, does their love for one another distract from their calling? And I think in season two, metaphorically, it does. Because in, Leah, you made a really good point when we were talking about innocence last week, how we kind of have to look at Buffy through the lens of there's a whole like literal side to Buffy and Angel's relationship mm-hmm. and there's a whole metaphorical side. Yeah. Obviously, Angel loves Buffy. It is not an abusive relationship, but there is also the metaphor there for an abusive relationship mm-hmm. for all this other stuff. And so I think sometimes it's hard to like decipher and filter out the two. And so I think what they're trying to show us through the metaphorical side is that they do actually distract each other. And so by the time we get to the end of season two, it's, hey, can Buffy actually be a slayer and do her job without having Angel by her side, even to the point of having to kill Angel? And yeah, the answer is yes. And so I think it's an interesting question to have to wrestle through now because now that we look at the entirety of the show, we can say definitively, 
ultimately know their love actually strengthens them and that they both ultimately learn that they must do what is right no matter the cost. And we see them sacrifice over and over and over again. So I would say Mm -hmm. they are all, they are not a distraction for each other because Mm -hmm. over and over they, they choose to do the right thing over one another and their own individual happiness. And not to mention, we've seen multiple times that they're, love for each other has saved each other multiple times we've seen their instincts and because they're so close have saved each other and so it's like i would even argue the opposite where because they love each other because throughout both shows they have this deep strong connection for each other and this pull to each other that that is the reason why they're both still alive yeah because if if angel didn't love buffy he would have never been able to fight his way out of hell mm-hmm. because he had something to fight for, to believe in. Yeah, and he wouldn't have gotten out of the sewers either, mm-hmm. you know? Or even the fact that like in such a full circle moment, like in Anne, when he talks about how um, Ricky forgot his name years before he re- forgot um, Anne's name. Mm-hmm. Or whatever her name was at the time. Lily. It was Lily. Lily, yeah. And then same thing with, oh gosh, at the end of Beauty and the Beast, it's one of my favorite scenes of Buffy of all time, where he just stands there and he kills that one like uh, abusive dude and then says Buffy and then starts sobbing. It's just like he was there for a hundred years and he remembers Buffy and he has animal instincts. Like, oh my gosh. But also in Innocence, it took Buffy... I think it was supposed to be just one day, one day to realize I need to kill Angel because he doesn't have a soul and he's destructive and he could kill people. Took her one day to realize that. Like that is insane. Yep. Even though she couldn't at the moment, she knew she had to. And she knew she was going to be able to get to that place because ultimately she's like, I know that being a slayer is important and it is always going to take precedence over my life. And I also think that her knowing and loving Angel, she knew Angel could never live with her himself and also could never, like, forgive her if she just let him run rampant and kill people. So yeah. it was like, I, f- I firmly believe that it was ultimately her love for Angel that caused her to kill him. Because, because it was an Angel. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, And then something that we... Uh, we were all wondering when we were watching the spoiler-free section or when we were talking about it was when Angel leaves the box and then jumps in after Buffy because we were like, why did Angel jump in in the water after Buffy? So somebody brought up a really good point. And Tabby, you might have seen this. And I was like, duh, this makes so much sense. They talked about the fact that Angel, when he saw Buffy go into the water, immediately jumped in after her because the last time she died, she drowned. And so there was most likely this sense of like Buffy's in the water again. He has this flashback and is like instantly goes in the water. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that makes so much sense. Well, not to mention he didn't know the severity of the hit of the amount of Mm -hmm. damage she took. Like he just saw Buffy get thrown into the water. And as someone who knows his strength, seeing her get flown into the water makes sense why he was so like shooken up because he's like buffy does not just get thrown like she does not just take hits like but also she makes sense if she was knocked out and thrown in she could have literally drowned and died or what if she was bit and thrown in yeah like he didn't know you know yep 
Um, and then I want to talk real fast in the library when Xander's talking to Willow about how, you know, he's like angels are always in front of the TV with a big blood belly dreaming of the glory days. Um, and then, you know, kind of bashing Angel. Projecting. What is the, what uh, is the nightmare that yes. is shown? And Hell's Bells. Xander. Mm-hmm. I literally thought about that. Oh, my gosh, Sarah, you keep stealing all my points, which is great. because No, we keep thinking about the same thing, which is awesome. You just keep beating me to it, bringing it up. Um but yeah, that's what I thought about too. Like you see him veg by the TV and like he had an injury because he helped Buffy and then he projected that and got all bitter. And then Anya got all bitter because she was like, you shouldn't have done that. Now our life is miserable. And like, gosh, that's all that uh, that's a whole other thing. But I think that makes a lot of sense for Sander because like, mm. I mean, one, to be fair, he had a valid point. But two, I think that he feared that so much for himself that he didn't want to see that happen to Buffy. And so I do think that it was like kind of a sweet thing to be like, I don't want this future for Buffy because I've seen it in my parents and kind of my own. Maybe. I think it just more speaks to his underlying insecurity. And yeah. and I mean, you hear you hear Anya tell him you were off saving your precious Buffy, which mm-hmm. is almost exactly what Cordelia says mm-hmm. to him in yeah. uh, the very next episode in Innocence, like right before Willow walks in and sees him like, oh, you were saving your precious Buffy. Well, talk about you know? blinding love. Xander's love for Buffy and his friends like blinds him from doing what's right sometimes. I, people could uh, use that argument yeah. for Xander way more than they would for Buffy and Angel. Yeah, look at season two. But then again, it's also – or the end of season two. But then it's also kind of like I think maybe there's a part of Xander that thinks that Buffy's love for Angel blinds her from doing her job. And so he doesn't trust her. So he's like, hey, I'm not going to tell but her But again, projecting. Spell. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Full circle. Man, guys. Way to be on the same wavelength. <laughs> Look at us. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Not, <laughs> Not me. me. <laughs> I think it's really funny how um, they talk about doing a, a round robin. And then there is an episode in season seven where I do not remember what it is. Where Don? Don goes yeah. and makes out, and then Xander's like, ah, oh, the old round ro-. – or he says – he doesn't think he says round robin, mm-hmm. but he's like the old, like, call our moms or whatever. And like, well, all Willow, Xander, and Buffy are all like, oh. What? We've been duped. And like just four seasons or five seasons before, they had been doing the exact same thing. It's just kind of a funny moment. So I want to talk about, it's not super something super big, but when, because I know, I think me and Sarah kind of differ a little bit about. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say because this is my next point too. (laughs) Dang, we are all freaking (laughs) one mind tonight. But um, when the blue... Blue man, the judge, the judge, the Smurf kind of points, yeah, points at a, like Spike and is saying that him and Drusilla like stink of humanity or whatever. I know that Sarah and I really differ because Sarah, Sarah thinks that. Why do you think that they say that? That he says that. Just say your point because I, I'm, I'm getting gathering my notes. My, my whole point is the fact that the reason why they stink of humanity is because a. They have a love for each other, which is inherently a human thing um, because vampires are supposed to be very selfish beings and it's very hard to love someone and be selfish. I still think that their love is still selfish because I think that as vampires, they're incapable of like loving someone completely unselfishly. But I also think that Spike inherently has a love for the world. And I think that Either way, he reeks of humanity because it's love. 
Um, but I think that that also couples in with the fact that he loves the world. He loves what the world can give him. He loves the feeling of being in the world. And we even see that at the end of season two, where he tells Buffy that he loves the world and that he doesn't want to see it kind of go to hell. Um, and I think part of that is because he also loves Drusilla and Drusilla is part of the world and he doesn't want to see her kind of not be in his world. Um, but I just, I think it's really interesting to see a vampire like Spike so enwrapped with the world and all that it could be. Yeah. No. Well, thank you for that excellent transition, Leah. Um, <laughs> paved the way. So there's a really interesting site that I absolutely love and I highly, highly recommend. I always go there whenever I kind of want to like look up what they have to say about certain episodes and stuff. It's called All Things Philosophical on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And also it deals with Angel the series as well. And they have a whole section on this dilemma and they talk about the judge and stuff. And I think that it's really, it's really, really interesting. And I kind of want to get your guys's thoughts on it. So we're going to talk about the judge real fast. And I'm quoting from the site. It says, the judge, the judge's power works like a battery. Weak upon reassembling with enough charge to attack only with a touch, he gathers strength until he can zap the people at the mall at a distance. He kills by inducing physical combustion in his victim. So there is a supernatural aspect to this energy. The judge does not simply know who has humanity and attack them, although he can do this. The example is Dalton. The power itself is attracted to humanity. It cannot combust the purely evil. The properties of purely evil and humanity it responds to are therefore properties of the soul, not the body. Since vampires have human bodies, albeit vamped ones, but not all vampires combust at the judge's touch, Angelus. Giles, this is a quote from Joss Whedon. He says, Giles said most vamps can survive the judge's touch. See, a vamp is a human possessed by a demon, not pure. A pure demon has no emotion, but vamps are diluted. They have some human traits like Spike and Drew who love each other in their twisted way. Dalton, the nerd, loved learning and reading and was just too human not to burn which I thought was really interesting. So I guess that makes sense just because at the end of season three, Anya talks about how a pure demon in full form is someone terrifying. And that's what the mayor is ascending into. So that makes yep. sense that there is a difference yep. between a vampire who's half demon, half human, I guess you could say. I don't know what the ratios are. Um, and then there's like the ascended full-fledged demon, which makes sense. Yeah, and it's an interesting twist from season one where Joss or Joss Giles is all like, "Hey, like that person is is not your friend anymore. There is absolutely nothing left of your friend within this vampire." And then as we're going on, and Joss even says this in the commentary too, we're finding out that there's actually a lot more humanity in vampires than we think, and that things aren't as black and white. That it is actually way more nuanced and it's not as simplistic as Giles initially put it, which I think is a really interesting thing. And it's going to lead into, you know, Spike with his chip later on. It's like how much humanity is in him. And I mean, Joss says about Angelus, he says, Angelus definitely has feelings for Buffy, but he is so stinking evil and twisted that no matter what, those feelings can only manifest themselves in hateful, destructive, and demonic ways. Demons are immortal monsters that thrive on darkness and chaos, and Angelus is the baddiest of them all, is what he said. Um, so the question that they ask is, would Spike and Drusilla have combusted if the judge had decided to touch them? And this was an 
another interesting thing to think about. He says, my guess is that Spike would have, for obvious reasons, see, and they have a whole section on Spike's moral ambiguity, which we will definitely get into later. He says, this one is full of feeling, the judge says about Dalton. This could be said just as easily about Spike. When Spike reminds the judge who brought them in into the world, he does touch the judge briefly and nothing happens. However, the judge is not up to full power yet. Drusilla is another matter. While she has affection for Spike, she is a greater creature of evil than he is, Mm. colder and more sociopathic, an open call whether or not Drusilla would have been burned. So it's just, it's it's really interesting. I definitely think that Spike for sure would have been burned. Yeah, I think so, too. He has an obvious love for the world and for Drusilla. Yeah, I agree. So, I don't know. It's just, it's a really interesting and fascinating thing, and I'm really excited for later on in the in the series, like, when we're actually addressing more of, like, Spike and stuff, um, and even Anya to a certain extent, too, like, when she's a vengeance demon later yeah, on. Yeah, that's and, a good point. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, like, really interesting stuff to talk about there, too. Because then you're also like, okay, Dark Willow still has the soul in it, too, you know? I have a question about Anya. Anya is not a full demon, though. She's a vengeance demon, but she's not, like, fully ascended. Because she can, kind of like a vampire, she can transition into her face and her human yeah. side. So she's not yeah. a full demon, right? Nope, is, not a full demon. Is, um, Tahafrin? Ta- How do you say his name? No. Tahafrin. 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 Is he a full demon? He's he's full demon, but he's not pure demon. I think there's a difference between pure and full demon. Oh, I you know see what, what I mean? you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because I would I would argue that the um I think they're the Turrican, the Uber vamps at the very end in season mm. seven. I think those are pure demons. Well, because they're so yeah. hard to fight. Yeah, exactly. And also, like the more like animalistic they become, because they have there's no a humanity. Yeah, well, exactly. What about the master? He was not quite pure demon, but he was, he was getting um, there. He was close. He mm-hmm. was close. So yeah, uh, really good thoughts, guys. I'm like, I can't wait to dive like deep into that. I need to do like more research before we talk about it. But just something for us to like think about and we'll definitely talk about and get into later. All right, let us talk about innocence now. So the first thing that I wanted to say about it is so refreshing to watch a pure evil villain because I feel like nowadays there's a lot of sympathetic villains and I think I feel like it is good to have a layered and nuanced villain and I think that unfortunately nowadays a lot of shows and even movies are like oh we want to have a layered villain so we're going to make him sympathetic and in doing so they take the edge off of the villain and they end up making him more like morally vampire diaries every single (laughs) villain ends up starting out bad and then becoming good I think that you can do a gray villain really, 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 really well. Sure. Wow, my senses got away from me there. (laughs) Really well. (laughs) But I I didn't realize how many really is I was saying in a row. Um, But I think that you do have shows like Vampire Diaries, like other shows. Vampire Diaries is always just the one that comes to my mind because, like, unfortunately, it's a vampire show. But in this area specifically, I think that was my biggest complaint about the show. Well, one of my biggest was the fact that, like, no villain ever stayed a villain. They always tried Mm -hmm. to, like, and granted, that did create some of their most cool characters. Like, I really love the originals and I love that whole Mm storyline. But it was, like, a continual problem where, like, these people that would like massacre people like Mm -hmm. not even like small like 
literal serial killers. And they'd be like, ugh, that's just Klaus. Like, right. And we love and Klaus. I love, I love yeah. Klaus. I'm just saying, like, it was a problem with the show because it wasn't just, like, one or two gray villains. It was every single villain became, like, meh. And there's so many other shows and movies that do this where you're just kind of like, can we just have one black and white villain? Well, and I think, like, I, I love what they did with Klaus. Um and I agree with Leah. And I think that the other villains, like like Klaus came in with a bang. I was like, they had so much buildup that I was terrified of him. Yeah, I agree. And then he came in and he was scary and he like corrupted Stefan again. And it was like, wow, this is really interesting. And then when they flipped him, I was like, okay, I'll give that one to you because he was the first one that they did. But yeah, then I it, agree. But then it was like Catherine. Then it was like Kai. Then it was like so many other ones where you're like, you come in terrifying and then you switch again. And I'm like, can we just get like yep. one villain where you're terrifying the entire time? That way you're enticing. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And it's not just Vampire Diaries. But I, I I, will say, I think that the best shows are the ones that know how to make good villains. And I think that good villains can be either black and white or can be gray. I think that what makes it really cool is when it's you kind of have both. Mm-hmm. Both black and white and gray villains. But I do like that you know, Angel was the first villain where we were just like, you're t- equally terrifying and equally, like, evil. Because, like, the Master was evil, but it was kind of like, eh, you're not really scary. Yeah, Angel was really just the best of both worlds because you have, you know, Angel, who we all love and care for, and then you have Angelus, who's just pure evil. And so they kind of got to have both sides of it but also just like they could go as dark as they wanted to with Angelus because they wanted to Because he wasn't the same. Him. Yeah. He wasn't the same to make mm-hmm. the distinction. Yeah. Which and is think- genius because you could really go really, really bad with Angelus with no repercussions because he yeah. has no soul. Whereas like yeah. people in, the, in other universes don't really have the soul, no soul stuff. Yes. So like you can't really go super evil with your villains because it's you can't really them. hard to like redeem them although i yep. will say the redeeming arc for damon was really well done because it was seasons long and he really grew and they gave him enough time but i think that's really hard to do yeah and i i'll give you like the flip side of that is the mcu i think the mcu really struggles with its villains because it makes them too black and white mm. to the to the point where they're no longer relatable. There's no humanity. And you're like, we're literally well, fighting a cartoon character. Loki's good. Loki is good. I think that, um, but he's not really like a main, main villain over time. Like he he kind of was in the Thor world, but I'm talking like the overarching. Um, and I guess he would be like the one character. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking I think Thanos like, is kind of good though. You kind of feel for him a little bit. He's not a, he's a pretty black and white villain, I feel like. But here's the thing about Thanos. So Thanos in Infinity War was excellent villain he was the first layered villain we see yep. because you see his side and you see what yeah. he's doing and you're like you are literally doing genocide but he's like i'm doing genocide to like save the rest of the universe so like it's not he's a bad guy doing bad things for a even though twisted but a semi-noble purpose he's not doing it just because he's like i just want to kill people which i feel like is most villains in the mcu or i just mm. want power you know Unfortunately, in Endgame, it became more about revenge, haha, where he was just like, okay, now I just want it. He became more, um, less layered and more just like they had to make him super evil because they were had to like go kill him. It's really hard to want to kill a villain that's a little 
like is a little relatable. So they had to make him more evil. Which makes sense. That makes sense. But I felt I also I really think that the what they did with his character was really cool. Like I, I think that him becoming revengeful and stuff really made sense. Sure. I mean it's okay. It it's okay once, but at this point it had been a pattern and everything. But anyway, all right, back to Buffy. So like the whole point of this is I think they really had the best of both worlds with Angelus. They did a good job because they had a truly evil character, but one that we know his backstory, we empathize with, and we care about. Like, they just had the best of both worlds. And yeah, all I wanted to say is well done, writers, because it's very enjoyable. Speaking of Angelus, so his whole goal is the destruction of innocence and purity. And we see this throughout the show. Um, and it's mainly in the form of destroying the innocence and purity of young girls. Um, and there's a theory that this is because Liam's younger sister was really close to him and she gave him the nickname of Angel and he uses that to name his alter ego, Angelus. And I think that it's because it's all about like the perversion and the twisting of innocence. And we even see that with Holtz when he kills Holtz as a family but leaves the daughter as a vampire. There's a very clear correlation and pattern that we see of Angelus like deliberately going after Drusilla, Holtz's daughter, Buffy, you know, all this other stuff, um, the gypsy girl, you know. So I don't know, just interesting. I wanted to mention – Darla kind of referring back to her when Buffy has that whole heartbreaking conversation with Angel. She says, was it me? Was I not good? And he said, you were great. I thought you were a pro, which if they're this evil for knowing or thinking that Darla was going to be like a prostitute and was once a pro, this is even more so of a dig at Buffy just because like, obviously this is her first time. But then also comparing her to Darla, someone he who is like his companion, lack of a better word, for like a hundred years. Like she doesn't even know how deep-rooted that insult is. And so it's just like as a viewer knowing like the details of it later on in the show, it's just even more hurtful to hear. Well, and it's especially interesting too when you think about the first thing he does when he transitions from Angel to An Angelus is literally go and eat a hooker. So it's like it's the literal mm. metaphor of mm. him like he just had a one night stand with Buffy and he's like, all right, now I'm going to go find a hooker. You know what I mean? Like it's like the boyfriend cheating on on the, the girlfriend and stuff. It's just mm. it's. The parallels are just really interesting. Or like when he's going through his really dark, rough time where he's not like completely reverting back to Angelus, but he's reverting back in his uh, soul form, if that makes sense. Yeah, when he just doesn't care. Yeah, when he's like really like going through it and just has to redefine his like identity, he goes and sleeps with Darla and then she thinks that that's enough for him. And she said, yeah. and then she says, she goes like, what, you're not Angela? She's like, I was a pro at one point. She like mentions the fact that she was so good that she thought that that would be enough. So it's like literal full circle, like everything just like, I just, oh, even though it's heartbreaking, I just keep thinking about all the facets of it. And it's just, the writing is just so good. That episode is so good, yeah. the one where he sleeps with Darla, because I remember mm -hmm. watching it with you guys yeah. and you guys were <laughs> so angry. You're like, how <laughs> dare he sleeps with Darla. I mean, I wasn't mad that he slept with Darla because I was like, you know, 
Buffy had her rough time in season six, and I like especially in season six. Um, yeah, and, like Spike and Buffy's relationship was not healthy for either of them, and so I was like, you know what? Characters go through rough times. Even like, you know, uh, Xander slept with Faith, and that wasn't good for either of them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so every character had done crappy things up until that point. So when he did sleep with Darla, I wasn't like. Ah, you know, and it was short-lived it was more of the fact of like if angel loses his soul because he had sex with darla that's i would true. be so yeah. pissed that's what would make me mad i'm so glad that they went into more detail with that and angel and how they actually like talked about that it wasn't sex itself that made mm-hmm. angel turn i was like thank god because i feel like that'd be so weak like that'd be such a weak thing to be like oh i have sex with anyone and I had perfect amount of happiness. I think it just makes it so much more special that it was with Buffy. And one of the reasons why, and I'm so sorry for the Kangel fans out there or Kangel. I, I never know how to say it, whatever. But I, one of the reasons why I didn't want to watch Angel is because I was, I, for some reason I thought, cause I knew that they air quotes fell in love. Um, sorry. I'm like, I'm like making everyone so mad. Um, um, all our Spike fans, all our dollar fans, all our, I know. Preface, if we made a podcast on Angel, which I don't think we will just because I don't know if I have the energy to to have a podcast about Angel, but there is good aspects and Mm -hmm. bad aspects about Cordelia and Angel. There is good aspects and bad aspects about um, Spike and Buffy, it's just that our preference is for Buffy and Angel. And I think everyone on this podcast knows that. Um, and so obviously that's where our bias is going to be. And so when we do talk bad about the other relationships, know that we do see the positives. It's just that we mostly mention the negatives, especially with Cordelia and Angel, because their relationship is not focused on in Buffy. And so it's actually not there at all in Buffy. Um, and <laughs> so we non-existent. only, so we only are able to point out the negatives because we're comparing them to our yeah. standard, which is Buffy and Angel. Angel and Cordelia's relationship outside of their romantic one is beautiful and earned and lovely. And they really push each other. And I really, really appreciate it. I just think they had zero chemistry and it was thrown on them last minute. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about well, that and anymore. Buffy and Angel had so much. Yeah, chemistry. it's hard to come back from that. Um, but what I was going to say is that I before I watched Angel, I knew that they had fallen in love. But I had for some reason thought that they had sex and he became Angelus again because of Cordelia. And so I was so frustrated for years being like, what the heck? Like, that's supposed to be like, first of all, that's a copycat writing. That's really lazy. Um, But I also was just like, I'm a huge Bengal fan. So I was like, why do you have to just take that away from them? I like that they, they went into detail when they had that whole monologue with Wesley. And so it made Angel's character way more interesting and had way more respect for the writing of it rather than just throwing it in that it could happen anytime. Yeah. And I mean, so we have this moment where he loses his soul with Buffy. And then we have the moment with Darla where in a way he kind of regains his soul. Like Darla is his shadow relationship compared to Buffy. Um, And then you have the moment with Cordelia and I I think it is very much established that Angel loses his soul not because of sex, but because of intimacy and belonging and all that stuff. Like the everything that went around losing his soul with Buffy 
was because he was fully known, fully seen, fully accepted, and she was his soulmate on top of it. Like they had a relationship that is, you know, one in a million. It's a it's a once in a lifetime thing. With the the whole thing with Cordelia, his son had accepted him Mm -hmm. and loved him and respected him and gave his blessing for him and Cordelia. Cordelia said she loved him. They had just defeated the, I don't remember his name, the beast, I think it was. They had just defeated the beast. The son was back in Los Angeles. He was a hero. He was a champion. Wesley was finally like back in the group. All of his friends were together again. And then in the midst of his throes of passion with Cordelia, whose name does he say? Buffy. Buffy. (laughs) The first time we watched this, we were watching it with Sarah and Andrew and we just skipped through the sex scene because, I mean, I'm not going to go into why it's uncomfortable watching a sex scene with your family. (laughs) But like, so we just skipped the sex scene. And then I think it was like, I think it was a couple days or like maybe the next day or something where we were talking about it and Tabby and I were like, oh, that's so much different. Like we thought it was just because he had sex with Cordelia. And you're like, no. And you're like, even if it was about that, like he said Buffy's name and both Tabby and I were like, wait, what? (laughs) And then we had to go back and watch it and we were like what the heck? Like, he literally (laughs) said her name. I think it's because he had fear that he would turn into Angela. So he, his like, his like, um, default was to be like, Buffy, because that's what happened when he turned into Angelus and he went out in the rain and was calling for her. So his default is literally to think of Buffy. (laughs) No, but I think it's very much established that him having sex with Buffy was a very unique and special and different thing. It literally took like 15 other factors to all line up in order for him to lose his soul. And somebody somebody brought this up, so I'm just going to address it real fast. Someone was like, they didn't like the fact that Angel didn't find perfect happiness when he had his son. They were like, why is it that Angel just didn't experience happiness at any other time in his life? And I would posit that like, Angel never really was able to get to that place with Connor yeah. simply because Holtz was after that the entire well, time. Well, he was literally right right watching it happen. Holtz was. Right. He can't like absorb the moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Darla just died. You know, Holtz is right there. And then now you literally have people from all over the place trying to get his newborn son. And then for the first few months, like Connor is being hunted and Angel doesn't really get to like experience the whole fatherhood thing from like a you know peaceful frame of mind. So I don't think that that's the, that's the same thing. You know what I mean? I think in a perfect world if he was with Buffy or whatever, you know, maybe, but yeah, anyway. I think it's also like not to be like, you know, Buffy was there first because you know Connor's literally his child. But I think it was coupled with the fact that Angel had spent a 100 years alone, unloved no purpose, nothing. Then he finds Buffy, who loves him unconditionally for everything that he is. And even prior to the 100 years, he was a vampire with no love. So it's like, you know, 100 plus years of no love, no nothing. Meeting Buffy, someone who loves him unconditionally, accepts him, and completely changes his world And he finally has a purpose. So I think it was the combination of finding a person you love, feeling at home, feeling safe, like 
everything encapsulated with Buffy. It wasn't just Buffy. It was like finding something in someone. And I think that then after Buffy, his life had more of a purpose and more of like fulfillment. And so then true happiness was going to be, I think, a little bit different because it wasn't it didn't just need to be satisfied by one person seeing him anymore. Hmm. Yeah, quite possibly. I'd have to think about that one a little bit more. But yeah, and I think it's it's hard because as a first time viewer, when you're watching this, you don't know that, you know, one one moment of pure happiness is not just sex. Like you don't know that. And I think for the rest of the show of Buffy, you don't know that. Like it's not until you get onto Angel that you realize, oh, hey, like it's more than that. But all right. So moving on, this moment when Drusilla talks about how she's naming all the stars and stuff, I think is so interesting because it's consistent with Drusilla when in Angel, when she kills Darla and then she plants her in the nursery at the top of the building because she wants to see the stars. I just love how they keep bringing back in like the Drusilla's love of burying things and also her love of like seeing the stars. I don't know. She's just, it's, she's very cleverly written and she's also very consistently written and I love it. When um, Angel says, he's like, I'll call you. I just keep thinking about the same thing that Parker did and he ended up not calling her. Like the parallels between those both like situations are heart-wrenching. They really yeah. like like um, steered into the skid with this one. Yeah, no kidding. I think it's interesting that Drusilla calls Angel Angel in this episode and pretty much for the rest of season two. And yet on the show, Angel, she calls Angel Angelus. And I think that that's huh. because, yeah, she doesn't call him Angel. She calls him Angelus. And I think that's because they're trying to play on the tension of Angel and Angelus hating each other. Mm -hmm. But Drusilla, I think, also likes – she knows where to poke Angel or Angelus where it hurts. And she knows that – Angelus doesn't like being reminded of his soul and Angel doesn't like being reminded of his past. And so by like purposely and intentionally calling him those things at certain times, it's very um it's very telling. Like I think about that one moment where in season two where Darla and Drusilla have all of those um Wolfram and Hart people and inside of that basement and Angel comes in and he like locks them in. And I, I don't, I think it's Darla or someone says Angelus. And I think it's Drusilla that says, no, that's Angel or like, you know, or there's something like she makes the distinction. Mm. I kind of view it as like, since Buffy and Drusilla are supposed to be mirrors of each other or not necessarily mirrors, whatever that's called Voice. reflection or yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of view as she calls Angelus Angel and Angel Angelus because when he's Angelus, that's her angel. Whereas when Buffy's angel is when he's actually angel. I don't know if anyone's resonating with what I'm trying to say. And in my in my brain, this makes sense. Um, but then when he's when he's a soul filled, when he has a soul as angel, that's no longer Drew's angel. That's now Buffy. Mm -hmm. So she re reverts it back and says that's Angelus because now he's an mm -hmm. enemy to her. Whereas when he, like he's her angel, he's Angelus. He has no soul. No. Yeah. And I think that's part of her just being malicious too, you know? Um, but yeah, I know it's hard. I'm like, there's the show angel and there's angel and then there's angel. The episode angel and yeah, there's yeah, so many. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
Okay, and then, you know, we have little things like Spike calls Angel the Slayer's lapdog. We have multiple instances in where we have the wish where Angel is, you know, good puppy by Willow and then or Vamp Willow. In the harvest, he says, don't worry, I don't bite. Yeah. Um, and then it's also an interesting choice of words, you know, because in Passion, Drusilla brings Spike a puppy to make him feel better. And it's kind of symbolic of Spike is now Drusilla's and Angelus's lapdog, and he hates that correlation. Um, then the moment where Angelus goes and kisses Spike on the forehead to kind of like cut through that tension is very reminiscent of Faith kissing Buffy on the head. And I think it's uh, enemies. Enemies. I don't remember. Yeah, it's an enemies. And it's just very much like you have you can, like the you have the tension of like they these two people like hate each other and then that moment where it's like but they're also so similar and it's crazy that they have those correlations between angelus and spike seasons before spike even gets his soul and i think that's played off beautifully in angel season five um also when he is in the hallway sorry skipping to kind of the middle of the episode when angel's in the hallway and he grabs onto willow and he says she's so cute and helpless is really quite a turn on I just like, this is so consistent and I love it because Angelus is so turned on by innocence and he loves to corrupt it. We've talked about this a billion times, but then you see the parallel of Angel and in the episode Helpless, he talks about how he saw how innocent, but also strong and um, uh, pure Buffy's heart was in uh becoming bart one where we see him like see her when she was before she was the slayer um he says that he wanted to protect that and i just like oh the difference between angel and angelus is just so well written but also so consistent because this is the first time we've really seen angelus act that way we've we've seen it talked about with drusilla but then him saying that and then also angel angel affirming Buffy saying that she can never be boring or helpless even if she tried when she's like feeling like confused and like feeling like her power is being taken away and she feels like that's her identity he just affirms her and says even if your powers are taken away you will never be these things yeah no that's a really good point tabs because I actually had you know I wrote down for that scene it reminds me of season four angel when and he turns into angelus and who is it that he picks on that I mean he kind of like pits them all against each other but there's someone in particular that he he narrows in on and it's fred Fred because she's innocent Mm -hmm. and he makes a bunch of sexual remarks to her and it's very similar to what he says to buffy and to willow okay so i thought this was a really interesting uh correlation so we have that moment where uh angelus says to buffy he says i'll call you and he finger guns her as he goes out the at the door (laughs) um and then in Bad Eggs, Buffy talks about how guys never call her back. And then you have Parker and you have all this stuff. Well, it's interesting because in season six, Entropy, it's the episode that Spike and Anya sleep together, which I always forget about. <laughs> Same. I always forget that Same. happened. Yeah. It's just like such a blip. Um, But they have this conversation and they talk about Anya says how she originally wanted to just use Xander for sex. She was just going to like use him and lose him. And Spike agrees. And he says, I just wanted to know what I was missing. 
and then move on. And you got to, to think that he got this from Angelus, that he saw the obsession that Angelus had with Buffy, how like sex with her was literally so like, like soul shattering that he like loses his soul, you know? And so it's, it, it's just an interesting little insight into like probably all these behind the scenes talks that we just never were privy to. Um, okay. And then I thought this was kind of a cool little nod when Enyos is talking about the whole like um, moment of true happiness and stuff. He says that the soul no longer plagues his thoughts for one moment, then he will turn back into Angelus. He then says this little thing that he tried to stop it, but it was meant to be. And I think that's a cool little foreshadowing and nod to the idea of the powers that be that come later on in the show, just because it's incredibly important to Angel's arc. And um, and it kind of shows that over time, you realize the powers that be are the ones that kind of maneuvered Angel to meet Buffy and to put him exactly where he needed to be. I rewatching this episode, the dream sequence where Buffy kind of sees Jenny physically unveil herself. Um, everyone always kind of sees that as like, oh, like Jenny's a part of what's going on. And that's so true. But also they're at a funeral. And I always thought like that was foreshadowing to her death because she shows up oh, there. Yeah. It's only her and Angel and she gets unveiled, which it's true because she knew about the curse. But he's like, you you got to see. What does he say? You got to. You got to know what to see. Uh-huh. And I just like I, I just kept thinking like whose funeral are we at? Like it has to be I Jenny's. See it as both. I think it's, it, both. it's also Angel's it's too. It's Angel mm. and Jenny's funeral and oh. the fact that both of them are not who they say they are anymore mm -hmm. and so both of them end up dying in season two it's mirroring both yep. of them they who they are currently and unfortunately what they're going to become which is dead yeah which is dead but it's also too like it's also it's just it's got a lot of symbols right there because who else is also there it's buffy so technically it's also like loss of Buffy's innocence, like emotional innocence too. Like it's her, the, the death of her emotional innocence. It's also, you know, Buffy's realizing that if she, she could have been the one to stop Angelus, that Jenny wouldn't have died. Like there's a lot of things um, going on there, but it's very interesting that those three are the ones that are there. But also who kills Jenny? Angel. Right. Yeah. It's really only exactly. them three. By goodness. Yeah. And who kills, who kills Angelus? Buffy. Buffy. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's just literally a, I was going to say a circle, but it's a triangle, you know? Um, I also thought it was really interesting that the moment where Angel kisses Buffy and says things are about to get very interesting and then slams her down on the floor and you kind of have that moment where she's kind of going into shock and comatose is so reminiscent from season yes, five. Yes, I wrote this down. It is, it is literally like if you put them frame by frame, it's so similar. Like them both just kind of like falling on the floor the camera's kind of panning out and it's just like you can see it in her eyes she's checked out and i think that the reason why this comatose doesn't last as long as the other one is simply because the other one she's felt this way before and she's like why am i here again like why mm -hmm. does this keep happening i think that's what spirals her into an even worse position than this one because this is the first you know, big thing besides, I mean, her dying, which is huge, but like, this is the first big thing that has happened in her life that she's like, why? Like, why is this happening? And then by season five, there's been so many other things. And she's just like, 
why does this keep happening to me? How do I keep fixing these things? But also, yeah. like, she's had an entire season in season five of trying to protect Dawn. So when she's finally taken, she's just like, oh, my gosh, I can never catch a break. Like, she's gone through five seasons of, like, metaphorical hell and physical hell. Um, and then trying to protect her sister and then her sister being taken like i that would plummet me i'd go into comatose too there's a there was a really interesting conversation on instagram the other day and i actually firmly believe this and it's very sad when you think about it but i believe that there is a small part of buffy that dies with each trauma that happens you see her never fully recover after prophecy girl but really truly never fully recover after she kills angel buffy in season three comes back a little bit when angel comes back but never quite to the 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 innocence i would say that she was in season two once again in season three when angel has to leave season four buffy is very different from seasons two and three buffy and then obviously once you get to season five and after she dies she's never quite the same and it really it, it's realistic because going through so much trauma in your life is going to change you as a yep. person. It's going to alter your brain chemistry. And I feel like it's not until literally the last scene in season mm-hmm. seven that we get to see Buffy like back kind of to her old self. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people say that the show should have ended in season five. And I understand and I get the reasons why, but I feel like it's worth it for her to go through more, for her to end up not having to have the burden of being a slayer, to live her life normal. Like her smiling at the end is so rewarding just because she's gone through so much and that she can actually sit there and enjoy things. And she gives like such a genuinely happy but exhausting smile where she's just like, oh, like I can do what I want, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get there, and I don't want to give away too much, but I think, to me, I feel like the cliche ending, like, of Buffy would have been to have her die. I feel like the the ending that just kind of is unpredictable and the one that we just did not see coming was her living and being able to live fully and finally for once not have the tug and pull of being the only slayer. She can actually yeah. live a normal life if she wants. I feel like that is just – that's the one we all didn't see coming. <laughs> well, that's why I liked it. Like, like, I don't know. Like, I understand why people would – liked the season five ending but i just wanted her to be happy and to finally live a life where she can live like a normal human being so i like the fact that they had two different seasons do i like particularly what they did in those seasons not as much but i like the outcome with it and i'm glad that she had a life as far as we know she lived until she was like 97 you know of like just like a happy life with her and angel (laughs) yeah I mean, that was yeah. only 20 years ago. She's only in her 40s now, so. Yeah. No, Buffy is living in the beach. She has two dogs and a couple of kids, and she lives with Angel, who is Sean Shude and is now human, Ugh, and he is it. a trauma therapist, and he helps slayers who have gone over the edge, like, because, you know, he mm-hmm. himself, yeah, that is my can- head canon. Or, like, helps people in therapy who have had addiction issues and, like, things yep. like that. They have a separate yep. room for Giles, who's growing old with them. And they have a lot oh. of sex. Because <laughs> they can now. And they wake up every morning next to each other. And Angel's there because he can be because he's not a misogynist. 
<laughs> He's not Parker. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of misogynist, just kidding. Um, there is a foreshadowing. Yeah, I think Tabs, you mentioned this when Angela says to Spike to kill this girl, you have to love her. And I think it foreshadows the end of the series with Spike and Buffy's relationship, where Spike is so obsessed with Buffy to the point where he's like, he he's like, I'm in love with her, you know? Also, Angela's is a freaking butthole for trying to like <laughs> gaslight Buffy at the ending scene where he said, You made me the man I am today, which kickstarts her thinking that it's her fault. For the rest of the season of him getting his soul taken away. Like, the poor girl, especially in I Leave Eyes for You, like, the poor girl really lives out her trauma in that. I mean, it's a beautiful, artful piece of television. I love the episode to death, but the poor girl really just relives her trauma, thinking it's her fault throughout the whole episode. And he started it. Yeah. No, I think that's that's just Angelus being... Uh, but and I mean the thing is, is that Angelus lies with the truth. So yeah, mm-hmm. technically Buffy's the one that brought Angelus into the world just by having sex with Angel, but it's not her fault mm-hmm. at all. Also, I want to say I love the foreshadowing and the little taste of what's to come with the romantic triangle with Drusilla, Angelus, and Spike in this episode. You can really start to see Spike kind of go from, hey, Angelus is back. We're going to win to, hey, why do you have your hands all over my girl? (laughs) I think I mentioned that too in the non-spoiler section where I was like, it's really funny seeing Spike kind of regret like inviting Angel in so quickly. Yep, yep, yep. I think it's just like his romanticized idea of the glory days. He's like, you are my Yoda. And then he actually becomes Angelus. He's like, I forgot how much of an asshole you are. Can you go back? Um, also, Spike listening from behind the pillar totally sets him up with siding with Buffy at the end of the season. Because you just know Spike sitting back there going, oh, yeah. oh hey, hang uh, on. That's a they, good point. <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> wait, Drusilla's off with Angelus. And then, you know, Spike probably could have had something, to, like some way of like going in like, hey, guys, guess what? Buffy's on her way. And he, I bet you he was like, nah, I'm just going to let them squirm a little bit. Also, and when she's like fighting Angel at the end or Angelus at the end of the episode and he says, you can't do it. You can't kill me. I just. Yeah, she does end up killing him, but it's like in true Buffy format flips it on its head. It's like she ends up killing Angel. Because I always, like, when I think about her killing Angel at the end of season two, I I just, sometimes I forget about the details of it, and then I forget that she ends up killing, like, Angel himself, not Angelus, you know? Like, you always think it's going to be this big battle where she, like, struggles but ends up, like, having to finally kill him. But the fact that they bring him back the last second is so torturous. Oh, my gosh. Guys, I just remember the first yeah, time meanies. watching Becoming Part 2 and being like, okay, okay. Okay, well, let's doing the spell. Okay, I don't know if I want her to do the spell. And just mm-hmm. like the tension and just being like, holy crap. And then you see Angel's back and you're like, ooh, Angel's back. And then you're like, okay, well, then they're going to find some way to close the portal and it's going to be all happy. And then you see Buffy's face. You're like, no, 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 no. Because yep. you were all on board at this point yep. to kill Angelus. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, this is sad. But, you know, Angel's gone. And then Angel comes back. You're like, crap, no, now you have to kill it. Like, oh, it's just chef's it's a kiss, man. Of Mm-hmm. It's so good. And I think like that's true Buffy form where it's like, oh, you want this? Okay, I'll give it to you. But either the timing will not be right 
Or there'll be some twist to it that's going to make it torturous. Like, oh, we'll give you what you want. But then the next episode, they're going to die or like whatever. And it's like, I can never fully enjoy anything in this show. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, it's true. Neither can Buffy can never fully enjoy anything. Seriously. I do want to point out that there is um, another rocket launcher in the show. Do you guys remember where it is? Is it with Riley? Nope. Uh, that was just it's with Buffy. Buffy uses the rocket launcher in another episode. Let me think about it. I pro- I could probably think I about it. I don't remember. It's not in Homecoming, is it? Nope. It's It's not in the episode right before the f- season 4 finale, is it? Nope. Oh gosh. Uh I don't know actually. All right. So, in season 7, him when they were all under that I hate uh, that episode jacket. with Love a fiery this passion. This is literally the only good part of the episode. Buffy gets the rocket launcher to go kill Principal Wood. And you have that humorous moment where he's like elevator music, like jazz in his office. And you see Buffy in the window right behind him as she holds out the rocket launcher. And Spike and Xander do like a flying tackle of her. <laughs> so funny. Um, yeah, that episode is very iffy. That episode is... Be wish bothered and bewildered on crack. <laughs> I I just I literally that's one of my least favorite episodes. I hate it. Anyway, I just think it's funny how season seven has so many nods to so many like classic episodes of Buffy, mm-hmm. and they just have Buffy go get a rocket launcher to go take out Principal Wood. It's just it's it's really funny. Anyway, just needed to put that in there. I do want to say like. Buffy in the whole last scene of Innocence when – or not the last scene, but when she's like about to get the rocket launcher, she's walking in from the elevator and she's like, all right, guys, do this, do that. And she's giving orders. Really reminds me of General Buffy in seasons seven. She's grim, yes, determined, yes. solemn, and a little sad. And I think it's – I think it is incredibly consistent to say that that's how Buffy would be in season seven. Yep. I think I think it is. Yep. I, I noted that too where it's like – we see glimpses of who Buffy will become when she mm-hmm. is forced to be this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's sad, but it's also just like beautiful seeing her grow into this like powerful and strong woman who's just been through so, 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 so much. And I think the reason why I think it's so beautiful is because we finally get to see her at the end of season seven, just like finally be able to relax. Yeah. Yep. All right, so the last thing is what would Don do? And I personally don't think Don would have done much in these two episodes simply because there's so much going on, but I think we would have seen her in surprise in the kitchen when Buffy's talking about wanting her driver's license. I think Don would have been like, "Eh, no, you don't need your license and like made fun of her and stuff. Um, and then I think that we would have seen her again at the very end of Innocence when they're on the couch. I think Dawn would have been right there stealing Buffy's cocoa and watching the movie right along with them. I think she would have clued into the whole fake round robin thing because <laughs> Dawn, Dawn is so like perceptive. Like she always has been. And I think that would have been Or consist- we would have seen her like learn what it is and like be like, I'm going to use that for later. Hmm. But I also think that she'd kind of be like, hmm, I wonder if she is. And I feel like she would like call Xander, make up some lie about something and be like, oh my gosh, like um, I need to talk to Buffy or I don't know, whatever it may be. Um, and then somehow find out and then like tell like, I don't know if she, she see, she couldn't tell Joyce because the same stuff would still have to happen. They kind of just have to fit she, her in. 
Um, she wouldn't have told Joyce, but she'd be standing by the back door when Buffy when walks in. in mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to tell were you? you were out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see, I could see it more so of like she's only there like in the last scene and like she just kind of comes in and Dawn is the only one who really recognizes that this is about Angel. Like, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like you see her like maybe have a conversation where like she just says like, is it about Angel? And like you just see like Buffy just kind of like nod her head. I couldn't see like a sweet scene like that where Dawn is the one to pick up on it. I feel like yeah. this would have to be one of those episodes where Dawn can't be really annoying because it would take us out of the episode. So I would love to think that at the end where her and Joyce are cuddling, like Donna's also understanding and like they're with them. I agree with you about Dawn. I think that, especially that moment in Innocence at the very end, I think Dawn would have just hugged Buffy. I think she would have been just incredibly sweet and wouldn't, because we see the bond between Dawn and Buffy, even though they get on each other all the time. I think there is like a real connection there, obviously. <laughs> hmm, almost like, you know, someone was made out of someone. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. She was <laughs> taken from her rib. <laughs> Well, we did it, you guys. We made it through. And you know what? That was really enjoyable combining both of those episodes together because I felt like we were fully able to talk about everything without having to like stop ourselves and try and save some for this episode. Um, We cover a lot. And I feel like there's a couple of like pretty big stuff, like hefty subjects that we covered. Um, Definitely email us. (laughs) You might not want to DM us. It's going to be long. But um, definitely email us or DM us your thoughts, you guys, on the fridging of women, of sex with consequences, um, how much humanity you guys think vampires have. I can't remember what else we talked about, but I know there's other good stuff. Um, just, yeah, female sexuality. Let us know, you guys. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast, or you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to let us know what you think Dawn would be doing. And thanks again so much for listening, you guys. We will see you next week.